He said that purpose and having a purpose in your life, whether it's helping your neighbor or your family or like this big picture purpose that we're talking about um, is one of the key components to living a long and happy life. So I think it's really interesting because a lot of times when we talk about these topics, it can feel really selfishly motivated or um, something that's like, I don't need to care about that. I'm fine, you know, doing, living my life the way it is. But it actually is something that not just helps us live these long, happy lives, but also helps our communities too. So it's cool to think about it in that way. Welcome back to the Max Out Show, where today I'm joined by Tina Muntanos, founder of the super, super popular blog, On Adulting. Katina is a mindset coach and author of the new book, On Adulting, How Millennials and Any Human Can Work Less, Live More, and Bend the Rules for Good. We'll take a deep dive today into the real purpose of life, overcoming imposter syndrome, and living life on our terms. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited to have you. And so I want to start with a question that you actually pose in your blog, which is, what if we told you life could be a choice rather than a negotiation? I think that really sums up much of your work. So can you explain to our listeners what you actually mean by that? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's really interesting because when I first started doing this work, it was when I first entered the working world. So I uh, kind of got to the doorstep of adulthood and thought that um, as soon as I got here, everything was going to be exactly how I planned. And I'm not sure about you or anyone who's listening, but a lot of times leading up to our first job or when we graduate from college, we're kind of following this exact path of life. And we're told if you follow this path, you'll be happy and successful and you'll achieve all these things that you want. Um, and so I believe that. And when I got to adulthood, I found almost the opposite to be true. And even though, of course, I was really lucky, I was working in this amazing job by society standards at this big investment bank in New York. Um, I got there and realized that every person that I was supposed to look up to was running around kind of doing all these things all day that wasn't necessarily in alignment with who they were or who they wanted to be. And because it was so new to me and something that um, I could kind of see with this naive point of view, I felt like everyone around me was just negotiating something all day away from who they truly were. So they would stay late um, and miss their kids' soccer games because they needed to send that one last email out. Or they would be sprinting to the printer to, you know, like grab that last change of the slide deck for their boss even though the previous version was fine. And I feel like I was constantly confronted with those questions. And it really forced me to personally look inside and ask, like, if this outside world isn't what I want to do, and it's not living up to my expectations of life, then what is it that I want? And how can I live a life of choice in the big picture sense, rather than kind of being on this hamster wheel of life? So kind of a deep answer to your first <laughs> <laughs> No, I actually love that. I, th I think this is an important point to consider because most millennials, and I would say most 
people actually find themselves at some point in their lives in exactly that situation where you're climbing up that ladder of success and whatever you were pursuing and you suddenly realize it's, it's leaning against the wrong tree, right? You're climbing the totally wrong thing. You're actually building your life based on values and ideals that yeah. aren't actually yours, but maybe your parents or maybe your friends or maybe society's idea of what it means to live a good life, quote unquote. And so I think this is such an important question to ask yourself really. It's like, what am I actually trying to get out of life? And, yeah. and so I really love that, that story that you're sharing here. So yeah. can, you, can you show us a little bit about like what created that shift then? You know, you talk about this unproductive realization. So yeah. what made you eventually, you know, get out of the rat race and out of this trying to always live up to society standards instead live a life that's, that's truly authentically yours? Yeah, it's a great question. And I feel like we could take all day to answer it. It took me a long time. Um, but I think actually, I'll just go back a little bit, actually, in my story, because I think this was a really life-changing period of time for me that showed me that life doesn't need to be the way that I was taught. Um, so I had a pretty typical childhood. I grew up outside of New York City to parents of my parents immigrated here from Greece and kind of, you know, lived a uh, normal New York, Queens and Brooklyn life. So I was kind of taught this very classic East Coast, like go to school, work hard, get a good job, make money, have a family type of life, um, which I'm sure a lot of people could relate to. And I went to school in New York City at NYU, and I ended up being able to graduate a semester early, which you know, was great for me because I was on scholarship and then that was ending and had some loans to pay. So the option that most people who were in that position took and I normally would have taken was to just start work right away, start paying off those loans, live that classic life. And there was something within me in that last semester of college that was just like, what if you didn't do that? What if you decided to do something a little bit different? And I was never a rebellious kid at all. So it was pretty interesting for me to go through that process. And I decided to actually postpone my offer at this big investment bank in New York until the rest of my peers were starting. And um, I decided to travel through Australia and New Zealand by myself for a couple of months. And I had no money. I was backpacking. So I was kind of like really thrown into this new world. And I think it was during those four months that I started to really ask myself these big questions of like, what is it that I want? Wow, people here are happy. And they have nothing they are, you know, like choosing to live out of a backpack with nothing and have no clue where they're going to be um, in the next week, let alone like the next year. So I think that couple of months that really, I call it my pre-adult honeymoon. Um, but it was just a really interesting time. And I don't, I'm not saying this to say like, you have to go and travel and do all this stuff. But for me personally, it was really interesting to be confronted with these very different life choices that I'd never seen modeled in my life. So seeing that and then getting into this very starkly different place where everyone was wearing a suit, running around, kind of felt like they were the most important people in the world. And, you know, to some, in some ways, they were doing important work, but 
it just totally didn't jive with the person that I was becoming when I stepped out of these expectations of myself. So it took me quite a while in that period of time to really understand what I'm vocalizing right now. I could not tell that to you (laughs) six years ago. Um, But I did keep a small journal that I wrote in every single day on the subway. And I would go to coffee shops and just ask myself these big questions. And that ended up turning into on adulting, which I started about almost two years after I was working and ended up switching into another job that was more aligned with what I wanted to do, but not quite my like ideal um, career. So that's kind of a starting point of how I, I personally started to ask myself those questions. Yeah, I love that. I, th- I think there's a couple of really important things here that I'd really like to, to, to look at, which is, first of all, yeah. I think travel, as you mentioned, I think it is one of the greatest life hacks out there especially for anyone like graduating high school graduating college whatever just going to like a different country a different culture seeing like different ways of living seeing as you mentioned like how people can be so happy with so little is yeah. just just amazing and mind-blowing sometimes and i think it really also allows or gives you this opportunity to then ask yourselves those those big questions about life when you're just yeah. in the middle of the mountains or like just out in nature, right? And it's not like this daily like to-do list kind of thing. Do you have time to like just wander around and think like, what do I actually like about life? Like what, what am I interested in? And so I think that is definitely something to, to really, you know, especially post-COVID um, to really take up, I think, for anybody that's sort of struggling with these questions. Um, yeah. And then... And then, then from that, just one thing quickly, I think... Um, at least when I was graduating, this idea of travel was so cool. And it was so like, everyone studied abroad. And everyone was like, had these Pinterest quotes of like, travel changes you. And of course, I couldn't agree with you more it definitely has shifted my perspective in ways I can't even describe. But I think also, there's something to be said about just being alone with yourself and that literally takes no money no planning like it is just uh, you could go for a walk in your neighborhood without listening to 800 podcasts or like showing everyone on instagram that you're doing it but i think (laughs) what that time forced me to do was truly be with myself by myself without the expectations of my parents or my friends or my work or my school it was just like I could be anyone and that was really the point when I started to discover like who am I actually and what is important to me rather than what do I want to be yeah, so that's a little aside. <laughs> absolutely love that quote. I, th- I think it is an important thing, right? That like every single day, if you just have a forest around you or some kind of river or anything like in nature, just going out there, I think just taking time for yourself every day can be one of the most transformative things. Um, and another thing I got from your story is like that, that sometimes even, you know, after you spend a couple months out there, like this, the, the, the sort of storyline isn't going to emerge like very clearly right in the beginning. So it's not like oftentimes you don't have that sudden epiphany that tells you, I want to do this for the rest of my life. For some yeah. people it happens, but for most of us, it's, it's more this like quiet voice we need to listen to where it's like these, these internal nudges of like, hey, this might be a little fun, right? And like, let me try this out. It's like this more gut instinct. Um, I, think, I think this is an important thing to, for people to remember, especially in this like passion culture that we have nowadays. Like yeah. oftentimes it's not like someone just knocking in the frigging door of your house saying, this yeah. is what you got to do, right? 
No, it's so funny that you say that because in the book, I have a whole chapter on this and I, I was definitely guilty of believing this and also even speaking about it in the on adulting blog when it first started was this idea that like, there's this bright neon sign and it says passion found here and you just go to it and it tells you exactly what your passion is. Or I also describe like the sorting hat in Harry Potter. That's kind of how like (laughs) the world tells us that we find our passion. Someone or something outside of us tells us what it is. And I've found exactly what you described that it's this long undoing and unwinding process because It's something that you know deep down within you um, always. And it's more just that society and not to anyone's fault, but just the world that we live in has taken that away from us and really taken us so far from what that is. And we kind of follow this continuous path of like, I should do this, I should do that. Um, And that builds onto us in, you know, the whole process of growing up and being conscious and being aware of who you are is undoing at its core. Yeah, for sure. So for any emerging adults listening to this right now, do you have any set of questions or exercises they can do to sort of start getting closer to figuring out what they're interested in life? Totally. Yes. I, so, um, when I was writing on adulting, the main thing that I, um, did in this writing process was go through a lot of these big picture exercises. Um, Because for me personally, I feel like whenever I read books, especially when I was like going through it and just really confused, I would devour these words. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do exactly what this person says. And I think a lot of times we do these things and these exercises on our own without even realizing it, but having it in a set, you know, path and um, description is really helpful. So there's a couple of different things um, that we can do. I'm trying to think of the best one to pull up now, but I think when it comes to finding your passion, there's two different ways that I personally and I recommend as I've worked with my clients and kind of help them figure this out too. One side is going back to this idea of undoing. So knowing that we always have this thing that we care about and, you know, can act on in our lives within us forever. So there's an exercise that I really love to do that, um, is called life as a kid, or that's what I call it. And it's a process of just really asking yourself, what were the things that I loved to do when I was younger before anyone told me that I couldn't do them or they were weird or it wasn't feasible or wasn't possible. And they could be the weirdest things. Like I loved, I don't know, planting in my backyard, like on its surface that wouldn't necessarily layer up to being like, I'm going to be a gardener. Right. But what I think is most important in that process is asking yourself, what are the parts of that that really light you up? So if you break down the process of gardening, as an example, is it organizing all of the different plants in one place and making it look really beautiful? Or is it deeply caring for that one plant to make it, you know, survive as best it can. There are so many different facets of the things that you used to love to do. For myself, um, 
The example that I always go back to is playing soccer. That was something that my dad, when I was younger, he also played soccer and he always wanted me to play and I loved it, but I would never say that I would be a professional soccer player at all. I was not that good. Um, But the thing that I loved to do was cheer on my team. I was always the like motivator and getting everyone pumped and bringing everyone together. And like, even in the toughest moments, I was always the person that people could count on to like bring up the motivation. And it's really interesting looking at my life today. That is what I do in every part of my life. So I think that's just one small example of starting to uncover what are the things that light you up and what parts of those things really excite you and how can you connect those dots. Um, And then I think the other side is this thing that I call your North Star statement. And it's kind of like this guiding force in your life that can really help you measure, am I on my path or not? Um, So it's a really simple statement. And it's essentially just kind of getting at what is the audience that you really love to focus on and connect with? And what do you like to do for them or help them with? Um, so for me, mine is I help millennials navigate adulthood in a mindful and happy way. And that helps me make big decisions and small decisions in my life. And if I know that I'm kind of working towards that as a life goal, um, then I can kind of adjust from there. And sometimes things won't ladder up to that um but i know deep down that that's okay because i'm making that choice rather than something um forcing me to uh, take a path that i wouldn't necessarily choose on my own you know i absolutely love it i I think that having a north star in our lives is absolutely vital if we truly want to live a happy life i think we need to have that kind of purpose and reasons to get up in the morning instead of kind of overarching mission to go on in our lives to accomplish to like to to work for right and at the same time i i love this idea of, of looking at this this childish side of ours and really this layering process that you describe and really looking at like what i liked like 20 years ago and then looking at like why did i like that like what were the aspects of it the traits of that that skill or that sport or whatever it was that like that I liked about it because I think as, as you mentioned, like if you go like one, two, three steps below that and ask yourself, why did I like soccer? Why did I like gardening? Why did I like running? All of a sudden you the sort of the real uh, intrinsic motivation emerges and not just sort of the superficial level. So exactly. I think absolutely love that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really interesting. Um, I don't know if you've heard of Dan Buettner, but he's this National Geographic researcher who came up with um, the Blue Zones, which are, I think, the seven different areas of the world where people live to be 100. So it's really focused on longevity and they live to be 100 in a healthy kind of vivacious way, not, you know, in a hospital, sadly, really living at that point. And the thing that he says is the most important aspect of longevity. And if he could kind of like bottle it up and put it in a pill, um, he said that purpose and having a purpose in your life, whether it's helping your neighbor or your family, or like this big picture purpose that we're talking about um, is 
one of the key components to living a long and happy life. So I think it's really interesting because a lot of times when we talk about these topics, it can feel really selfishly motivated or um, something that's like, I don't need to care about that. I'm fine, you know, doing, living my life the way it is. But it actually is something that not just helps us live these long, happy lives, but also helps our communities too. So it's cool to think about it in that way. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's an important point, right? Because for many people, like having some kind of purpose in life sounds like this woo-woo spiritual kind of thing, right? Yeah. So they're like, ah, I'm not, I'm not into that, right? But yeah. once you realize that like having that kind of purpose actually changes your brain chemistry, it makes you happy, it releases all these feel-good chemicals, and through that, you make better choices, right? You're just happier along the way. Like you just eat more good food rather than all the junk food that people eat because they don't have that kind of purpose. And that's yeah. how you live a long life, right? And also yeah. happy life even more importantly. And so, so I love that. What, what are you saying here? Yeah, so cool. <laughs> yeah, so important. Now, we switch gears here a little bit. You actually talked really interestingly about how the Industrial Revolution actually mm-hmm. fucked us up as society. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> can you share some of those insights and what we maybe, you know, have forgotten of like hundreds of years ago, the way that people were actually living back then and yeah. how we can maybe go back to some of those roots? Totally. Yes. So I also am working on a startup that's um, about creativity and kind of fulfilling your creative potential. It's called Daydreamers. And through that, I actually found this amazing woman named Celeste Headley, who conducted this research that um, you're speaking of. And she recently wrote a book called Do Nothing. And it's all about this idea of how our society has shifted over time to be these like workhorses um, and continue to live on that hamster wheel that we've been talking so much about. And I became personally interested in this because I, as I was doing research for my book, I thought that this was such a millennial thing, right? And it was such a thing that our generation dealt with and technology was the main culprit and we just needed to get away from that in order to be happier and stop feeling so obsessed with work and um, not embracing free time. And what she found through her research is actually, this has been something that is long in the making for hundreds of years. And it really started even before the industrial revolution, but um, that was kind of the precipice of this shift in our behavior as humans. And It's so fascinating because we shifted in that time frame when we went from kind of having these small businesses and community oriented um, spaces to living by the amount of time that we worked. And as we shifted that like um, value in our society, we started really thinking that time is money. And the more time that we spend on something, the more money we would make. And the more money we would make, the more successful we could be. And so we didn't stop the clock at, you know, sundown. And that was enough for the day. But we started building these massive corporations where there was always going to be a supply and demand. And it kept growing and growing and growing. So that was really the starting point. And that was such a shift in my, when I learned that, um, that really shifted my belief system because it made me understand that this is bigger than me. It's bigger than all of us. Right. But we do have the power 
for to shift that as we go forward. So um, what I really took away from that is that as we kind of entered the working world as millennials, we were constantly told like you, there is no work-life balance, right? You're, you know, just working, you're answering emails, you're, even if you go on vacation, you can, wherever you are, you can still get (laughs) your boss. Um, And I am a huge advocate of this unproductive time and even something we talked about before scheduling this time with yourself where you don't need to be doing or achieving or kind of fulfilling that mindset that's been in our society for hundreds of years right by just simply taking time to do nothing and to really simply just be you are kind of fighting the system and you're really helping create change in our society that hopefully will span many generations and have you know profound effects on the way that we live and work yeah so, for sure so, so one of the the quotes from from your blog that I absolutely loved was maybe we can shift the definition of success to one that involves less email answering and more banana bread making. And I thought that was just genius, right? Because at the end of the day, like, I think it's all about creating moments in our lives that matter. Yes, work is important. And um, of course, there are people that absolutely love to work, right? They love those 14-hour days. And I love sometimes those 14-hour days. But it's like, I think just remembering that it's not everything in life, that there's a whole nother part of like relationships and fun time and hobbies and all of this stuff and truly making sure that we enjoy every moment, I think is so critical. Yeah, totally. And I think, I think the coolest part about all of this is as you start to become aware and conscious of what you're doing, rather than just running on this autopilot mode and going back to that first question you asked me, really just constantly negotiating your life rather than choosing, when you start to become more conscious and aware, you can choose if you want to work those 14-hour days that's amazing. And you're choosing that, right? And even if you personally aren't choosing it, you're saying like, this is okay with me, because of what I'm going to get from it. But if you're just living in this life, that's constantly like, oh, Mondays suck, they're the worst. And I'm working until midnight, and then I'm waking up and like, dreading my 30 minute workout to get to work, your life becomes this constant negotiation and constant run on this hamster wheel where there never feels like an end. Um, And going back to one of your points earlier, it's really interesting that like when we schedule joy into our lives, which are these tiny little moments of fun, um, it actually completely does shift our brain and we start to seek out more moments of that. So I think the coolest part about all this is when we start to make these little tiny changes, whether that's like answering less emails on a Sunday and making banana bread, you start to do more of that thing because your brain literally creates new neural pathways to see and do more of the stuff that you're already doing. So if you start to do more joyful, fun stuff, your life becomes that rather than this stressful, strained, um, workaholic type of life. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's such an important point that 
our brains, we're in, an, in a happy and stress-free and positive and optimistic state of mind, which is so much more productive and effective also. So that, that exactly. you know, even the most successful people, if you look at them in business, right, they're not like usually miserable. I mean, many of them are, but usually they're also very, very happy if they really rise the ladder because they're just so much more effective because our brains are optimized for this high performance world when we're actually truly happy and when we make time. And this is really a game changer, I find. When we schedule fun time in our calendar, when we say, hey, these three hours, it's just, you know, next week on Thursday, it's just, I don't even know what I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do something fun. Yes. And I think that, is, that gives us something to look forward to also, even in the midst of sometimes doing that work that we may not even like that much. Yeah. And on that, interestingly, the anticipation of something fun or joyful increases our perception of how excited so simply just looking forward to something that you're excited about even if you don't know what it is um it has pronounced effects on our ability to have all those benefits afterwards as you said one of the things they talk about that is so critically important i believe is imposter syndrome because anytime we you know we start a new career path or maybe you know you're 40 years old and you're switching career path right now you're trying to do something new, all of us get that feeling of imposter syndrome. So can you show us, you know, how people can actually learn to manage and overcome that in their lives? Totally. Yes. This is something that I have dealt with for a long time and so many of us do. And interestingly, as you said, it actually, according to psychological research, starts to come out more when we go through a major transition in our lives. So whether that's when we're starting a new job or looking for a new job or moving to a new city or entering a new phase of life like motherhood or fatherhood, um, we feel like we aren't deserving of the life that we're living. And that's really the definition of imposter syndrome. And it's a completely normal aspect of life, even though it was only discovered in the 1970s, which is pretty crazy. Um, but this is something I talk about a lot in the book because I experienced it immensely when I entered work. I was always like, why is my boss assigning me to do this major project? <laughs> like, why does anyone trust me right now? And I think that was a huge um, finding in adulthood. And one of the major ways that we can kind of solve for this in our lives is really basic. It's simply just understanding how other people that you look up to have went through those transitions. So it's essentially seeing that everyone is human and everyone has these feelings. So something that I talk about in the book, which um, I wouldn't necessarily recommend, but one of the ways that I started really working through this was one night when I was first starting work, there was a woman that I really looked up to at work. She was just amazing and um, someone that I actually truly wanted to be like, but I never thought that I could. She just seemed so far away and, you know, achieving all this awesome stuff. And one night um, I was working late and I ran into her in the bathroom unknowingly and she was, had just, you know, been sobbing and I didn't really know what to do. And obviously I tried to console her in the best way that I could. And she was like, Katina, 
listen, I'm totally fine. I'm just having a really hard day. This happens to everyone. I'm going to be fine tomorrow. Um, but thank you for asking. And, you know, this is just a part of life. Like, it's not perfect. Some things are really hard. And simply just seeing her humanity in that moment and recognizing that she wasn't perfect, no one is perfect. And even if some things are going really, really well, they also are difficult. Completely shattered this ceiling for me and was like, okay, if she has hard times, I can also have hard times and I can have really good times. Um, so researchers recommend that just kind of getting to know someone, whether it's a mentor or someone that you look up to, or even following someone's blog or listening to podcasts and hearing them be vulnerable is a really important shift for working through your own imposter syndrome. Yeah, for sure. I can totally relate because I think anytime that you, you find someone, you meet someone, you, you even stalk someone, right? <laughs> that, that you really look up to where you think they're living this dream, ideal life that if I could live that, I'd be happy forever. What you yeah. usually find is they also struggle with the same issues as everybody else, whether it's imposter syndrome, whether it's some kind of fear or anxiety or they have certain struggles in their lives. We're all facing the same stuff. So I think there's such an important point to just always keep remembering that you're not the only one. In fact, everybody... Yeah. Is struggling. It's just some people just don't like to show it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think the cool thing about social media and the world that we're living in now is um, we become so normalized to like see people's vulnerability, which wasn't necessarily something that even five years ago was a normal thing to see. So I think the cool thing is that there are so many stories readily available to anyone to be able to see someone's struggles and hardships and also the beautiful stuff in their life and just simply see that they're a human being, right? That we all experience this weird weird path of life sometimes <laughs> for sure i think that's such an important realization to just always keep in mind now you talk a lot about rituals in your life so uh, i think this really critical aspect to look at you know was it's morning rituals evening rituals any kind of rituals in our lives we really want to change to to change sort of the course of our lives so can you share about some of your own maybe personal you know habits and rituals that you've started practicing in your life that have really served you well yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm a huge fan of kind of having consistency in my life. And I feel like that really, um, it really took hold, especially when I started working for myself and consequently starting my own business because I had no ritual in my life. I wasn't waking up and going to work. I really had to be clear on certain things that held me accountable throughout the day. And um, I think this is true and helpful for anyone, regardless of what your structure looks like. But I think many of us now that, especially in the U.S., that we're working mm -hmm. from home all the time, um, helping you feel like there's a part of you that you need to show up for is super important. So for me personally, I have a lot of rituals throughout the day that I show up for. And the morning ones for me are the most important. Um, I think that I'll just kind of share a little tidbit of what my life looked like before I started doing this. Um, I never placed emphasis on this when I first started work and I would wake up, like roll out of bed, 
um, be half sleeping, like run to the subway, chugging coffee, do a really intense workout class, and then like be at my desk, like already just so much adrenaline running throughout the day. And it was 7 a.m. Um, and that was obviously really unhealthy. Uh, but I think that that's so, it's kind of normalized in our world, right? Like check off all these boxes, do all these things. So the overall theme of my mornings is really to slow down and get grounded. Um, and there are a couple of different like actions that I take in order to play that out. The first is like really simple organizing of space. I think that that's super like under discussed. Um, but for me, especially as someone who's kind of sensitive to space and people and energies, um, I need to make sure that everything is in its place before I get started for my day. So that's watering plants, making my bed, um, making sure that things are not just disorganized. And I think that that has a huge um, value in the way that we show up the rest of the day. And there's a lot of research behind that too. Um, and then a couple of other specific things are, I'm a big meditator and I have been for a couple of years. And I know that's not for everyone, but for me, even just sitting in silence and really just allowing myself to witness my thoughts rather than trying to control them. Um, I feel like it's a shower for my brain. So um, that's kind of how I view that, you know, 15 minutes, it's not something that I do for hours, but really sitting aside, giving myself space, having some warm water and no one bothering me for <laughs> a couple minutes in the morning. Um, yeah. And then there are a couple of other things, but I would say those are the most important. Yeah. I love that. I, th I think it speaks to this idea again of, of taking time with yourself of not um, like, I think one of the worst things we could possibly find right now is this constant checking with our phones that, that you also talk about. Right? It's like you wake up and the first thing most people do is before they even get out of bed, they're already checking the emails and all the notifications. And it's one of the worst things you can do for your brain, for your energy, for your vitality in the morning. So I love what you're saying here about really taking the time to focus on yourself first, whether it's working out, whether it's journaling, whether it's meditation, to really get yourself right first. So then, then you're prepared for all of the storms that are going to come like outside of you. Exactly. Yes. And um, there's something that I didn't mention, but that I do the night before and I turn my phone on airplane mode before I wake up or before I go to sleep. Because you're right, actually 85% of people in the millennial age group and younger um, scroll through their phones within five minutes of waking up. So that means that your brain literally is shifting. It's going from um, a kind of a relaxed mode to a stressed, even fear-based mode where your brain and nervous system are now fired up. So whatever you could do to prolong <laughs> from starting um, is really important. And even if it's just a couple of minutes before looking at your phone and then also taking time, as you said, to like go within this. Yeah, for sure. Now continue. One of the things we always do in the show is we love to celebrate failure as mm -hmm. a stepping stone to further personal growth. So throughout your career, throughout your life, do you have a favorite failure? Oh, Oh my 
gosh. I feel like I, let me think about it. And I'm thinking because there are so many that I'm like, but similar to you, it's really interesting because whenever there, this question um, kind of comes up, I, in my brain, automatically rewire these like seeming failures as something that's exciting. And I think my dad, I never um, kind of pictured him as someone who did this, but he was a huge believer in mindset. And he taught me that from a really young age. Um, So I think, I mean, I would say like my first job was a huge failure, like overall, it definitely was on some instances and I'm grateful for it for sure. But it was so far from what I wanted to be doing that every single day I woke up and was like, I cannot be here. And by doing that, I wasn't showing up as a good person either. (laughs) I mean, I had a facade on, but I definitely wasn't doing my best work. I wasn't like going above and beyond in a way that, you know, you would if you really cared about something. So I think like in human terms, I would call that a failure, but also it was something that was probably the biggest life shifting and world changing thing for me. Yeah. And I, I think there's such an important idea that it's usually those failures that provide the most opportunity for growth because when we like hit rock bottom or even if we're still far away from rock bottom, but we still take this little dip, that's usually when people begin to reflect, right? That's when we're like, Oh, the thing that like I thought would make me happy or thought would work out. It didn't. So what do I need to change? And I think this is really yeah. one of the keys here. So like yeah. maybe you realize you're not really happy in that job, right? So it made you reflect on like, what else could I do, right? And I think totally. it's such an important key. On that, it's really interesting. I'm doing my master's in clinical psychology right now. And one of the yeah. classes that I'm taking um, is all about kind of this idea of transformation as human beings and how and why that happens. And we were talking about this fascinating concept the other day. And I'll admit, I'll just put it out there and someone could look into it more. But um we were talking about how as human beings, our main goal from like a biological and physiological perspective is to stay in equilibrium. That's like all we want. We want to achieve an equilibrium status, homeostasis, right? So um, when we aren't in that phase and we go away from equilibrium, like towards a suffering perspective, that really shakes us out of this hamster wheel, essentially. And it asks, what do we want? And do you want to go back to where you were or take a completely different path? So I think this idea of suffering or failure or whatever it is, is so interesting and so important because it literally does what we cannot do ourselves as human beings and forces us to make a different decision. So, yes, just, I love that. Um, and so maybe to also add on top of that, this, this whole notion of post-traumatic growth, which mm-hmm. I find so fascinating that when most people, when they experience these traumas, whatever that is in our lives, most people are resilient enough to bounce back to normal. But there's a yeah. certain small subset of the population, right, that like bounces back actually stronger and better and happier and healthier than they were before they suffered a trauma. I think this is such an important piece of idea to to keep in mind that when you're struggling when you're in the midst of failure or pain or suffering 
that there is an opportunity in that moment to shift your life in a way that will afterwards actually make it better than it was before. I love that. And I think so many people, especially now, we're going through a collective (laughs) period of time where we can really shift so much, right? Like in our personal lives and in our societal lives of big things that have been going on for a long time. So (laughs) I love that perspective. Yeah, for sure. Now, what do you think is the, the number one thing that holds people back from becoming the adults that they truly want to be? Mm. I think it's this idea that we are um, following a path that isn't necessarily set out by us, but for us. So this idea of kind of following your shoulds rather than this true deep um, sense of what you want to do. So at the root of that to me is fear, but also there's a lot of other reasons why we don't actually take the like get to know ourselves and then take the path that we choose um so it's could be a really deep answer it's probably the root of the entire book that I wrote about (laughs) 250 pages but yes I think it's not really understanding ourselves and kind of following the path that has been set out for us For sure. And so so diving a little bit deeper into that, if you could give our listeners just one piece of homework, one one idea, action step to take away from today to gain exactly that kind of knowledge and that kind of clarity, what would be the one thing you advise people to do? I would say going back to some of the stuff we said before is really starting to spend time with yourself. I think that is the number one thing. way that we can start to shift our perspective. And I think that means like spending time alone, truly alone, and not shying away from the feelings that come up. And that will just start to create that and those fears and those questions in a way that's productive rather than hiding away and replacing (laughs) certain behaviors um, of instead of understanding deciding to forget about them. So I think the number one thing I would say is schedule time alone with you and really use that time to start to get to know you as you would a best friend, as if you were someone else. Love that. Now, before I ask my final question, where can listeners find you and your book? Yeah. um, So I am on Instagram at at on adulting and my website is the same so it's on adulting.com and feel free to reach out to me with any questions i'm always available via dm email um i'm happy to support you so thanks so much for having me this was sounds great yeah now what does it mean for you to max out your life Mm. oh my gosh i it's funny because i call myself a life maximalist (laughs) (laughs) Love that. <laughs> I'm like a worldly minimalist, but a life maximalist. So I think it's really just, it's being fully aware that you have the power to do whatever you want. Um, and really like living a life with that belief system rather than the belief system that we've talked about, which is feeling like you should or feeling scared of something. So um I think it's, yeah, really doing whatever comes into your mind and world because you feel capable of it. 
Absolutely love that. Katina, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. All right, guys, that's it for today. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you gained some valuable ideas, tips, tools, tricks, mindsets, belief systems that will hopefully inspire you to take your life to the next level. At the end of the day, guys, it's all about application. The only thing that's going to set you apart tomorrow from where you are today is how much action you take with those ideas that you gained. And so I really want to challenge you at this point to you know, not just listen to this passively, to not just consume this you know, passively, just thinking about other things, but to really take those lessons, take those ideas that you just gained and start applying them to your life. So really start taking action and sprinting towards those goals and those dreams that you have in your life. Now, guys, at this point, I want to ask you for a huge favor. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider heading over to iTunes and leaving a review as that helps me really grow the show and reach more people, impact even more people around the world. You know, if you have a family member, a friend, a loved one maybe, that you think could benefit from this content, please consider you know, sharing it with them, forwarding to them, as that helps us really build a community of like-minded people that are all about maxing out their lives. Now, guys, with that being said, thanks so much for tuning in today. I really, really appreciate it. Stay strong and see you tomorrow.